to 1 John chapter 2, verses 7-11. through 11. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and that true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the dark. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated after a three-week hiatus out of the book of First John. We return to it. Our last time was the first Sunday in July, if I have my math correct. But we should be in it for the foreseeable future, Lord willing. <clears throat> Before we go into it, as always, though, let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us the <clears throat> true light already that he shines, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for feeding us Jesus every Sabbath day from the pulpit and often from the table and in prayer through the week. <clears throat> we commit now unto you our hearing of the word. May we be recipients that love you. <clears throat> for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle John writes the words of today's scripture lesson as one, if you will, standing on the precipice between the final end of the old covenant system and practices, which if this was written before 70 AD, the old temple was still standing, and the full glories that now exist in the shining glorious, glorified, crowned King Jesus in heaven who had ascended there to the Father's right hand. Now, if indeed John has in mind the issues of the Old Covenant, then this would be an argument for a early rather than a later date for the writing of 1 John, as we've argued very cogently that Revelation was written before 70 AD, even though we grant that it's very possible that the Gospel of John was written much later in his lifetime, which he lived a long time. So what I've just said about John's first epistle helps explain the otherwise strange language that he employs as he opens up today's scripture lesson in verses 7 and 8a which you may have quizzed over over the years, the Old Commandment and the New Commandment, and what are these things? Hopefully we will unlock that mystery of sorts by taking advantage of the key phrase for our lesson today, which is verse 8b, which says, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Now that's a glorious thing for us, dears. You're going to latch on to that today. That's going to change your life for the rest of your time on earth. And because of that wonderful truth of the gospel, that the true light is already shining and the darkness is passing away, let us make it our gospel goal this day to love and live in the already shining true light. <clears throat> we'll be studying together 1 John 2, 7 through 11. 
the title of the sermon, The Already Shining True Light, the doctrine, the triumphant Lord Jesus Christ is the already shining true light. Now that's an important thing to say, and I say it forcefully and lovingly and state it, because otherwise people might misunderstand who or what this already shining true light is. Now, I know you've heard that from this pulpit many times, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We're going to be singing that as one of our hymns later in the service, Lord willing. But it's an important thing to say. Much of religion falls into disrepair over this very issue of who or what is the already shining true light. You know, the world itself has its light. It walks in its demonic, devilish, false, illusory light. Jesus, our Lord, warned his disciples about the world's light in the Gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, at Matthew 6.23b, where he said, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And this is where a lot of people are today. They will say, my sin, my identity, my way of living is my light. This is my life. This is what makes me live and thrive. And in fact, it's darkness. How great is the darkness? As the true church, redeemed and forgiven... May we gladly affirm that the triumphant Lord Jesus Christ is the already shining true light. First, regenerated churchmen reflect the Redeemer's beams. Now this is how we're to understand another saying from our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. This coming from Matthew 5.14, where he calls his church the light of the world. Even as the moon reflects the sun's beams, so the church and her individual members have bounced off of us the golden streams that emanate from the ultimate light, the raised and risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. The true light, Christ, was already shining here in 1 John 2 and today because he had already risen from the dead ascended into heaven, and been crowned Lord and King of his church and sovereign over all the universe of God's creation. So Elder Craig was right in interpreting Isaiah 61-3 as future for Israel then, but fulfilled for us today. And that light, if you will, continues to shine, and the darkness is passing away day by day, year by year, generation by generation, whether we realize it or not. That's the truth. The only thing that could have possibly clouded from a covenantal point of view, redeemed sinners' view of this already shining true light of Jesus Christ and glory in heaven, would have been the possible existence of the old temple still standing in Jerusalem, which would have been especially a stumbling block for Gentiles and even for some Jews. But we're arguing that that may not have been the case. And this is why John could and would write as he did in verse 8 be, The true light is already shining. And we, the regenerated members of the forgiven and redeemed church, are the ones who even today are refracting that glorious light all over the place, all around the globe, even now, right now. Regenerated churchmen reflect the Redeemer's beams. 
And as we do so, we spread God's kingdom and dispel the world's darkness. This is where the issue of the church's exposing of sin, especially as it is found in the devil's darkest haunts down here on earth, comes in among other things. When we lift the log off the beetles under the wicked deeds of evil men, those things go scattering and they're exposed to the light. And one of the gospel ministries of the church is to expose evil deeds at every level, starting in our own hearts, of course, and then in our own community, our covenant, our families, and out from there to expose evil deeds. Now, if you've ever been in an incredibly dark cave, and I know that we have at least one spelunker, I think they call them, cave dweller goers, you might have noticed almost palpably how the blackness of the cave could almost be felt by you, but you would also know from experience that even the smallest little light, candle, anything, casts a glow and exposes a myriad of objects all around. It's really remarkable. We are in this body in earthen jars, jars of clay. We are cracked jars in which the Holy Spirit shines out from those cracks to the world around us. And we identify with our fallen fellow human beings who also are fallen sinners in Adam. But that light shines all over. And according to 1 John 3b, later in this very epistle, the Lord Jesus came to this fallen planet Earth to, quote, destroy the works of the devil. And we get to share as faithful churchmen in that ministry by exposing evil deeds wherever they may be found. And we, we really have to do that. We can't look askance or look the other way when we encounter evil. We are to lift the veil of it and let the light of God's grace and glory in Jesus Christ have its effect on evil deeds. But you know, there's even a more positive side to this exposure ministry that the church does. And that is the preaching of and sharing of the gospel of God's grace in our Lord Jesus Christ with our fellow fallen sinful human beings. And that is also to spread the light of the gospel in every place. Among the elect with whom we speak, they will, in time and space, come to embrace Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit will have regenerated them. And when they hear our gracious words of gospel ministry and truth in Christ Jesus, they will accept it. Let's now do a little bit of exegesis or explication of this very exciting text today and marvel that the new world in Christ puts a new spin on everything. Now we're going to argue in this sermon rather enthusiastically that the exaltation and reign of the true light, the glorified God-man, Son of God, Jesus Christ, casts a revolutionary, even new glow on everyone and everything, be they redeemed or not. Everything gets exposed to this glorified Son of God, the God-man now, seated at the Father's right hand, in the body as both God and man. Christ always existed as God. He exists now as man as well. And that's a great thing for us also. The very existence of new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creatures in Christ, 
i.e. supernaturally forgiven sinner saints who now constitute Christ's church on earth, in itself necessitates the fact that the new world in Christ puts a new spin on everything. First, this includes the fulfillment of God's commandments, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Now, again, the otherwise somewhat bewildering and understandably confusing language of verses 7 and 8a gets clarified by the glorious truth of verse 8b, which is our key phrase for today. In other words, the old commandment has been fulfilled in the already come true light. All of the old covenant, the Old Testament, everything old, was simply pointing to Jesus the God-man. And now, the new commandment is brokered through and only kept in harmony with that aforementioned already arrived true light, the glorified Christ of God, the head of the church, and the Lord and King of all creation. So, the old commandment, the new commandment, are all directing us to Christ, and now the new commandment is totally in Christ alone. Anything that's going to glorify God will be done through him and through him alone. And notice that John says in the middle of verse 8 that this dynamic is, quote, true in him, Christ, and in you, the redeemed church. Isn't that amazing? So what the apostle is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, rather remarkably, is that the covenantal nature of the Son of God in his humanity was fundamentally and permanently altered by his exaltation to the Father's right hand. The ascension and exaltation of Christ. Very important. And of course, we, God's church children, are completely and finally and absolutely affected by this crowning glory of Christ as well. And dear saints, when the Bible says, very clearly, as it does here, that the darkness is passing away, I hope we believe that. Now look at that verse. Does that verse say that the darkness is passing away? Do we believe the Holy Scripture? I hope we believe it because otherwise we are guilty of a most ungrateful and worldly pessimism about the world in which we live in that God created and he's sovereign over and he's exalted Christ to the very height of. And that pessimism is more akin to paganism than it is to true Christianity. It's really below us. Now, I know it's very tempting, it's safe, it's secure to run to that kind of pessimism. To say, ah, John's not really right here. He must mean something else. The true light has really not totally come, and the darkness isn't really passing away. There's still a lot of darkness. That's just unbelief, and that isn't acceptable to God. We have a responsibility to believe what God says. The darkness, it would be intractable and unmovable had Jesus Christ, the quote, true light, not already been shining from heaven. We grant that, but he is, 
He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's been crowned the King and Lord of glory in the body and as the divine Son of God. All is per the end of that great verse 8. The new world in Christ puts a new spin on everything. You know that's true. By the way, do you believe we're in the new world? You know, ever since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we've been in a new world. Everything changed. A new Sabbath day began when Christ's foot hit the ground on the first Easter Sunday morning. No longer would Saturday be the Sabbath day, but Sunday would be. A whole new universe was formed. Jews and Gentiles would be part of this church. Now, of course, we've been in it so long, we lose the perspective of how revolutionary and radical all this is. But it is true. The new world in Christ puts a new spin on everything. This includes the fulfillment of God's commandments, and this includes the truth exposure of our speech. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So the application of the doctrine that we've been talking about gets placed on our words. In other words, what we actually say. We see this in John's phrase that opens verse 9, whoever says. That's important. Whoever says makes a claim. Now in the old world, i.e. the world before the God-man was fully glorified, people said a lot of things. Some true, some false. But now in the new world, we have a new standard for speech. Under the God-man's reign and rule in heaven and on earth, we would be, especially in the church, finding that new standard to be the reality or lack thereof of love. Now love isn't mentioned in verse 9, but it is in verse 10. Here in verse 9, love is juxtaposed against hate, where the apostle wrote those words, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. So love will be explicated fully in verse 10. So as is always the case in all of life, love governs everything. All religion is a matter of the heart. All life is. It's all about who we love most, who is first in our affections. Is it Christ Jesus? Then everything else can and will fall into place. Do all the truly regenerate Christian people love God in Christ Jesus? Yes, they do. Do they have any choice but to love God in Christ Jesus? Not really. No, they don't. Will they ever be freed from the grip of this gracious, loving God? No, it's impossible. Will they ever want to be? No, they won't want to be. Will their will ever desire to leave him permanently, even though they wander from time to time in sin? Nope. They'll keep coming back to church, Lord's Day to Lord's Day. So love governs everything. And in this case, in verse 9, it governs our speech. Now, the opposite of light is darkness. And spiritually and biblically speaking, there is no in-between. Okay, So you either have darkness or light. And that's really true, because anytime you put a little match in some room that's dark as all could be, there's light dissemination. So, love for the brothers and sisters in the church, which John and the Holy Spirit is enjoining upon us here in these last three verses of our scripture lesson, 
It's totally premised on our love for God in and through Christ Jesus. And you understand, we have no option but to love every faithful church member in the covenant. And we should do so with joy and grace and desire and willingness and happiness. It's very important that we do that. The new world in Christ puts a new spin on everything. This includes the fulfillment of God's commandments, the truth exposure of our speech, and finally, this includes the comfort of sincere Christ love, verses 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So verses 10 and 11 portray a a very stark contrast for us. Someone in the light, someone in the darkness. The spirit-filled, loving Christian churchman of verse 10 has, to quote the end of that text, no cause for stumbling. Isn't that neat? No cause for stumbling. No cause for sinning, even though we do sin. In other words... He or she, walking in the light, has a clear and clean conscience and does not really need to worry about anything or the judgments or condemnations of other people and the world and our conscience, our past, our past sins, all those things that would otherwise torment us. No. We walk currently in the light and have no cause for stumbling over any of those things. Now, do we every once in a while click our toes against some rock and get tripped up a little? Of course we do. But we have no cause for stumbling because we can see everything in the light of the path, everything we need to see in Jesus, our risen King and Lord, who is the already shining true light being spoken of in this text. On the other hand, the person in verse 11 walks in absolute, total, abject darkness. And this is because he or she secretly or overtly, really in the heart of hearts, hates a brother or sister in Christ. And the person being described in verse 11 is unregenerate, does not know God, and is not in Christ, despite any and all appeals to the fervency of religious zeal or works or law or anything else. Remember, dearest, that Christ and the other two members of the triune Godhead, the Father and the Holy Spirit, cannot be loved when the Messiah's church members and her faithful ministry is not loved. The two go completely hand in hand. There's no separation between Christ and his body, his bride, his church, or his ministry. Here are our Savior's words from John 15:20 b and c, where he said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. As always this morning, let's do a little more application and understand why the already shining true light is such a blessing to the church militant. You understand the church militant is you, the people on earth that we still struggle with, our old nature, We have a new true nature in Christ, and the old 
is passing away, the darkness is passing away, we're becoming more and more conformed into who we really are, our true person in Jesus Christ, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, that's why we are the church militant, because we're always fighting. We're fighting our flesh, we're fighting the world, the devil, and anything else that comes against the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And we take it all down as per Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. So this isn't to say, dears, that the church in heaven, the church triumphant, isn't blessed by Jesus the light too, because they certainly are. All the saints in glory, in whatever state they are, they're not in their bodies, we know that. Their bodies are still in the ground here on earth. Whatever state they're in, God knows, they see nothing but light and glory. There's no spot or wrinkle or any blockage at all. There's no doubt that he blesses the church in heaven, but there's no darkness in heaven, as there obviously is here. The true light, Jesus, is eminently useful where he is desperately needed. I think that's why the Bible is about 98.2% all about life here and now on the planet for the saints. 98.34, somewhere in there, probably 99, maybe 100%. It basically is all about life here because this is where the action is. Everything depends on what happens here. There's no purgatory, there's no intermediate state, there's no second chance. There's no going back. There's no, what is it when you golf and you do another one? forgot. Um, can't remember. Mulligans. There are no mulligans. No mulligans after we're dead. No mulligans. No. It's all done here and now. That's why we need to be good stewards of the Lord's days. Some people treat them as if, eh, you know, I'll probably be around in a couple more years. I can just come and go, whatever. Well, that's foolish and really stupid. And very God-dishonoring, too. Everything we do here matters, especially the important things, like what you're doing right now the most important things. So it's for very good reason that we may, as the church, boldly rejoice in why the already shining true light is such a blessing to the church militant. You saw this one coming. First, because we do not have to wait till heaven to benefit from and enjoy Christ. Now, why do I even say that? Well, let's, let's be candid. You know, there are a lot of very inferior forms of Christianity and false gospels that teach that the good news is that we get to go to heaven when we die in order to get ourselves out of this horrible world that God created that we find ourselves in now. Now, dears, I grant, there are times in my life I'm like, boy, wouldn't it be, I'm ready to check out right now. You ever been there? I mean, something is really hard, and yeah, you kind of long for it. I understand that's okay. But really, that's a false gospel. The true gospel is not principally about going to heaven at all. I mean, that's a, that's a given. That's the easy part. That's already taken care of. 
Instead, it is all about the person of, the ministry of, the death of, the resurrection of, the ascension of, and the glorification in heaven and on earth of the Lord Jesus Christ and what that means for you, the church militant, as you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus more and more in conformity to him. Sunday to Sunday, sermon to sermon, sacrament to sacrament, prayer to prayer. The biblical gospel is not a future event, but a past historical redemptive set of glorious and wondrous events, all culminating on the incarnation, the ministry of, the death of, the resurrection of, the ascension of, the exaltation of, and the rule of the God-man, Jesus Christ, the great light who is already shining. And the darkness is passing away. And there's, this affects real, fallen, yet redeemed human persons today who live in the dark world of sin and death. Why did God allow sin to happen for his glory? So that his love, his grace, and his mercy, all in the second person, could be shown. Why does he let sin and darkness still hang around for our good, that we might become more conformed to the image of Christ, trusting him through it. Is it easy to walk around in a sinful world and live in it? No. Did God ever say, it's going to be easy for you Christians, it's no problem? No. Did he promise us a rose garden? No. But he did give us something much better, the promise of his constant abiding presence with us and the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of the church covenant community together, worshiping and living as the body of Christ. This Christ of the true gospel is for you, dear saints, who exist in, sometimes struggle in, and sometimes triumph through life down here where we really need Jesus. We're going to pick up on this last point in our final application instruction now this morning. Why the already shining true light is such a blessing to the church militant? Because we do not need to wait till heaven to benefit from and enjoy Christ. And because we have real victory in Jesus here despite our struggles. Our success in Christ as his church is real is authentic, is actual, even though it is often accompanied by or actually prompted through trials, hardships, tribulations, stress, and difficulty. Our blessed Messiah's words of John 16.33, notated on your outline, are worthy of our quoting and attention. Here is what he said there, John 16.33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome it. And now, even when he said that, he wasn't in his glorified state yet. Now he is. Fully overcome it and shining that light everywhere. Our victory is not in ourselves. It is entirely and absolutely in Christ Jesus alone. And that triumph is apprehended by us through our living, saving, and vital faith in the Messiah. Later in this epistle of 1 John, we read these wonderful words that I 
really love. They come from chapter 5, verses 4b and 5, where I am quoting, This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The people whose darkness, whose light is really darkness that Jesus talked about, they haven't overcome the world. The world's overcome them. All people who think that they can do it on their own are not overcoming the world. It's only overcome through Christ, our faith, the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Christ's blood cleanses away the sins of every elect redeemed churchman, dears. Do you believe that? If you do, you have the best of all worlds. Let us relish our glorious freedom in Jesus today. Beloved, the already shining true light is just that, already shining. Let us be exuberantly thankful for the already shining true light. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Christ is already shining, always has, but now in his glorified state, as the God-man risen to your right hand, that light is absolute and it's full of glorious brilliance. Nothing can stand its way and it spreads over all of creation. We thank you for it and we thank you that you have caused your son to reign and rule not just in his church but in the world too. Give us patience to live in a difficult world where there's still a lot of darkness. Help us to expose it in Christ Jesus, to share that gospel with all people everywhere, and to bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.